Welcome to Recovery Coast to Coast, broadcasting from studios in Seattle, Washington, carried live on KHHO in Tacoma, Washington, and carried nationally in streaming audio at www.recoverycoasttocoast.org. Two hours of interviews and features, plus questions and comments about this one-day-at-a-time adventure in personal recovery as we share experience, strength, and hope with others so that they may recover from alcohol and other drug and behavioral addictions. And now, Recovery Coast to Coast is on the air. Here's your host, Neil Scott. Welcome back once again to Recovery Coast to Coast. I'm Neil Scott. Nice to have you with us. In this edition of the program, we feature another recovery pioneer and what we've been calling Leaders and Legends, a segment that uh, takes a look at some of the people who have really made a big difference in our movement, in our country in our lives. Last September, while doing Recovery Coast to Coast from the TAP conference, that's the Texas Association of Addiction Professionals, one of the best conferences in the country, I might add, I met our next guest, which was truly a God incidence, not a coincidence, but a God incidence. He was a man that I'd heard much about, but had never met. And on the last day of the conference, he suddenly appeared right in front of me, sat down, and we began talking about the alcoholism field, uh, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, and perhaps where it's going to go in the future. He's a professor emeritus of psychiatry at Texas Tech University. He's a tireless advocate for recovery, not just carrying the message of hope and the promise of recovery, but actually sending that message loud and strong. He's the editor of uh, Alcoholism Treatment Quarterly. He is also a well-respected pioneer in the addiction field and a former Catholic priest who found sobriety at the legendary treatment center for clergy known as Guest House. Uh, He was born in Ireland. That's the birthplace of my grandparents. He's the founding director of Ethics, Humanities, and Spirituality, and he's joining us from Lubbock, Texas. Please welcome my good Irish friend, Dr. Tom McGovern. Tom, it's good to hear your voice again. It's good to hear you too, Neil, and I love legends and, uh, and and the rest of it. Well, I'm a legend in my own mind, so at least... <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all, my friend? Aren't I can we say all? It, it, in humility that goes along with the, <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the 12-step program. Yeah, of course, of course. You're, you're down there in Lubbock, Texas. Lubbock is a wonderful city on the plains. It's over 200,000, 240,000 in terms of geography. We are... Between, if you were driving from Dallas to El Paso, uh, Lubbock is midpoint between those two cities, and it's a thriving, wonderful city on the plains. And you've been there pretty much all your adult life since coming over from uh, from Ireland. Ireland. Yeah, yeah, I've been here, Neil, since um, almost 60 years, since 1962. I came uh, to Lubbock as a priest in, in my 20s in 1962, and basically I've been here ever since. I I still have got some of my brogue, I presume, but I will... Just a wee say, bit. Just a wee bit. <laughs> listeners, can de- listeners can decide on that if they can decipher my brogue. There you go. Back back in the days in Ireland, you went into the priesthood. I believe you had your first drink in your early 20s, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I was just, as we, in our previous conversation, Neil, it was interesting. In Ireland, of course, it's not uniquely Irish problems with alcohol. I know there's the caricature of the drunken Irish person, but... Any case, that, that that aside, we had a significant problem with alcohol, and there were many, many efforts, early pioneer efforts in terms of abstinence that characterized the Irish, the Irish scene. In our particular situation, when I was born in 35, and 
in the Catholic uh, liturgy, we got our confirmation when we were 11 or 10 or 11. And they asked us when we were 11-year-olds to promise not to drink until we were 16. That was known as the confirmation pledge. Perhaps it was 18. And then there was a companion group called the Irish Pioneers Association, people who dedicated themselves to abstinence from alcohol, even though they, they, a lot of people never drank. And they just, as, you know, there was a degree of, of trying to make up, for, I guess, for the excesses of others, the rest of us who were drinking. But there was there was that tradition of um, that I would that I grew into and that was part of my early training. As a result, Neil, I uh, had my first drink. I imagine when I was well, I know I did when I was in my early twenties. So I had a good period of my my uh, adolescence and early adulthood were spent without alcohol and no no experience of alcohol. You moved from Ireland to. To Texas, that's quite a stretch. How in the world did you wind up going from Ireland to Lubbock, Texas? Well, I'll tell you, at the time in Ireland, <clears throat> there were seminaries. That's where priests were trained. And some of these uh, were put together in the late 1800s, maybe the 1860s, 70s, 80s. And they were ded- dedicated specifically that priests would go to where there were I- the Irish diaspora, where the Irish were in the U.S., England, Australia, New Zealand. Kind of like missionaries? Exactly, yeah. Basically, to follow up with the Irish, with the Irish emigrants, you know, to to, certainly to be kind of just, we were seen as following up with with, with the Irish when they went to other countries. And, of course, the tradition of immigration began with the awful famine in the 1840s and then continued. There was always immigration, the fact of life when I was, I grew up because, there was very there was a huge unemployment in Ireland, of course, and very little work to be found. When you came to this country, uh, you were assigned to Lubbock, and, and being a Catholic priest, were you ever involved, or, or in your sobriety, certainly probably not in your drinking days, with the Catholic Society? I'm familiar with it, yes. I wasn't particularly involved with it, though I was familiar with it, yeah. Hmm. So your drinking progressed when you got here. Yeah, I was when I came here. First of all, I drank moderately for quite a few years, but I would say the the heavy drinking began in my thirties and continued up until my until my was sober for my fortieth birthday. My sober date is February the seventh, nineteen seventy five. So I guess with the that's over what is it forty five forty five yeah forty five years. Ah, uh, you're a newcomer, Tom. Oh, I know I am, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> But it, it was it was so steady progression, and then while I was in the active priesthood, my, my drinking got very, very, very out of hand, and um, I could have died, actually, from, intox- from alcohol intoxication with the amount I was drinking, but luckily, um, I owe my, my life and my sobriety, the beginnings of my sobriety, and he's deceased now, and I said, this was Joe Morgan, he was a famous Chaucer professor, very well-known Chaucer professor at the university. And when I was going to the university, which was a lifesaver for me when I arrived from Ireland, because I found an instant companionship with the with the university community. But <clears throat> he um, was he was in sobriety himself, and he became aware that my heavy my drinking had become very very dangerously heavy. That's an Irish euphemism, but 
It was excessive. <laughs> Let's <laughs> use another word. And this is this is this is a very wonderful story. He invited me to his house one evening. He was sober at the time, and he got out the bottle of whiskey, and he poured a drink for me, and he read from me from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh my goodness! And I was fascinated by it because you know I was in the dark side of my drinking then. I said, "My Lord, what's this?" So he said, "Tom, think about it." He made no. When I had a very particularly very, very terrible weekend of drinking, I came back to see him again. I said, Joe, read to me again from that wonderful book that you read from me about a month ago. And he did it again. And that was the beginnings of the planting of the seeds of the wonder of AA in my heart and soul. And out of that was the beginning of my sobriety. Was there a spiritual awakening, a certain point where it was time? Well, I tell you what. You know, I have often thought about this, Neil, and spiritual awakening for me was, an, I want to honor my beloved mother with this. Um, I get into the family side of this too because it's an important part of my story. When I was sober for a year, or maybe for a couple of months perhaps, my mother used to call me Tommy. She said, Tommy, your eyes are looking out again. What, isn't that beautiful? Wow. Your eyes are looking out again. I think the spiritual awakening is this terrible inwardness that those of us who struggle with this illness, we get consumed in our own struggle and our own cravings and our own sorrow and our own guilt. But then the spiritual awakening is the eyes looking out again. Isn't that a wonderful image? Oh, my goodness. I've never heard that. That's amazing. Well, it's hers, uniquely hers. And uh, But then I was I was fortunate that, and you know, we all have a story of a spiritual awakening. Mine occurred in the context of, of a drinking episode over Christmas, over the Christmas time, when I was, I was at a house drinking, I left the house and couldn't find my, couldn't find my car, you know, again, God, mm. God looked after me when I was drinking and driving, which is again, wow. I began to walk, and I didn't know where I was. And I walked into it, we get, they call them blue northers here in Texas. This terrible storm blew in, and as God would guide the all of our steps when we're when we're drinking and when we are sober uh, a, a sheriff one of the sheriff's department he, he said my god my governor what's happening to you i said i don't know he so he said you need i need to take you home so he drove me home and then i called a friend of mine who had gone to guest house which was where ripley's wonderful place yeah for, for priests and recovery and that's where i began in lake orion michigan in in uh, in, well, I went there in February the 7th, 19, uh, that's my sober date, 1975, and <laughs> again, he, uh, Bill Thompson and, um, was one of my, was one of my counselors, and uh, I'm blocking on the other man's name, but it'll come, it'll come to me, but he said, McGovern, most people arrived here, uh, you know, sober, protesting, they didn't have a problem. He said, you arrived, you, you, you arrived here drunk, proclaiming to the whole world that you did have a problem. So in any case, but that was a wonderful, and talk about spiritual awakening, because um, that was a wonderful, you know, I, I began, we spent four months of intensive treatment and soul searching, and uh, 
That was the beginning of my sobriety. Now, that was when you were a Catholic priest. but you, I was in the active priesthood at that time, yeah. You and, left uh, the priesthood. Uh, talk about that transition and perhaps the role that your sobriety played in that. Oh, yeah, of course, Neil. It's, 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 um, we, in, this is the beauty of it, you know, and this is the beauty of AA, and this is the beauty of the wisdom of Ray Ripley. When Ray Ripley started Guest House, Priests like me, if you, if you got in trouble with your drinking, you were abandoned, left by the wayside. And Ripley, Ray Ripley began, it was one of the scripts, uh, Summer House, actually, in the, at Lake Orion. That's where he started this uh, recovery setting, home for priests. And it was there that I did find my sobriety. But um, he did, um, in his wisdom, he didn't have clergy running it. It was run by men in recovery. Mm which was really wise. And I think the beauty of it was that the restoration, as I've experienced it at least, was as a human being to begin with. You know, we all have our roles in life, but as a human being, any case, the part of my recovery was that to examine my life, what I was doing. And then after two or three years of sobriety in the act of priesthood, I decided I needed, I needed to look at my life and see what, see what, see what our options were there. And of course, it was a celibate existence, so I began to look at other possibilities. Took a leave, and then eventually met Tony, my wife, and we were married a couple of years after that. And I, at the same time, I and this again, this is part of the wonder of this program of ours. My first job at the university, the the one of the founding deans, Dr. George Tyner, was in recovery himself. And listen to this, Neil. Forty years ago, imagine. A man in recovery, the dean of a medical school, mm. speaking at open AA meetings. Can you imagine that? Wow. That was something. So in any case, I went back and finished my doctorate and began my work. But was became, which I said, I'm working part-time with the Department of Psychiatry at the medical school. And that began another chapter in my life. And you and your wife had a daughter, correct? We have one daughter, yeah. And uh, now we have three grandchildren. Oh, my goodness. Now she's a professor at a university. And uh, I'll always remember when she was small, we were visiting. I can't remember, it might have been, I can't remember what state we were in. But there was somebody who, at a family gathering, and this man obviously had an alcohol problem. And she said to him, so you didn't see my daddy. He said, he's got a machine in his office that gets helps people to get sober. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know, the interwoven in this is, you know, when I went because of Dr. George Tyner and some other people, Dr. D- Richard Wedigy and Dr. Rudy Arredondo, they were all very, they were the early career teachers. Do you remember those, Neil, in, when NIAAA started? training physicians and healthcare professionals. Oh, sure. And they were one of the earliest of the career teachers. And there was a tradition, there still is a wonderful tradition at our university at the Health Sciences at the medical school of a dedication to the treatment of uh, of men and women and then families with alcohol and other, problems, other, other uh, substance use, alcohol use disorders. So it was, uh, it was quite the beginnings. Um, and of course, again, you see, I, 40 years ago, it was the beginnings of the, you know, what we know as the treatment initiatives that we have nowadays. But in my early recovery, the sponsorship and people going directly to AA and finding the recovery in AA was 
was probably the major place that people found, mm. major avenue that people found to recovery. Ab- absolutely. If you're just joining us, uh, Dr. Tom McGovern is our special guest on the Leaders and Legends segment, 45 Years in Continuous Recovery. We're going to take a short time out. When we come back on the other side, we found out about what it was like for Tom. We're going to find out now what happened in terms of his professional career, because it is stellar. He is truly one of the leaders and legends in the field of addiction recovery. I'm Neil Scott, the program Recovery Coast to Coast. A short time out. We will continue our conversation with Dr. McGovern right after this. I lie to all my friends. I mean, I look right at my kids and lie to them. I make excuses to my family. I make excuses to the people at work. I hide the truth from everyone, cover up at family holidays, you know, act as if everything's okay, pretend I'm happy. Every day, I deceive everyone close to me. This man isn't addicted to drugs or alcohol. He's just addicted to covering up for someone who is. He thinks it helps, but it doesn't. Find out what does. For more information or help, call 800-662-9111. Nothing destroys young lives and tears families apart like chemical dependency. But you have the power to put the pieces back together again with one call to Sundown M Ranch. Sundown's nationally recognized program and professionally certified staff treat each individual teen with care and compassion. Safe, gender-separate, successful treatment. Sundown M Ranch helps put families back together. 1-800-326-7444. 1-800-326-7444. Call today. Reason number 22 to switch to GEICO. We think renters are cool. Now, we don't know if you were born cool or if it's just all the cool stuff you have in your apartment. The point is, if you want to protect your considerable coolness, ask GEICO about renter's insurance. For as little as $12 a month, you can protect all the stuff you hold near and dear, including that combination flat-screen TV espresso machine. Now that is cool. For a fast, easy rate quote on renter's insurance, visit Geico.com or call 1-800-947-AUTO. Our next exercise, killing spider in bathroom. As you hear your wife scream, begin with a light jog, then run to bathroom. Four, three, two, one. Find spider on wall and squat and squash. Squat and squash. Spider lunges at you. Now scream like a schoolgirl. Good. And sprint. Now run. Life is exercise. Snickers Marathon is energy. Great tasting, nutritious, long lasting energy for the demands of your day. Grab a Snickers Marathon in the energy bar aisle. Aha! <laughs> Think earlier. Brew Starbucks at home. Available where groceries are sold. Today is the day. Think earlier. Brew Starbucks at home. Available where groceries are sold. Yeah, I've been drunk in the last 30 days. And how old are you? 13. Do your parents know? No. In Washington, one in six eighth graders used alcohol in the past month. I'm Governor Gregoire. We can keep kids alcohol-free if we start talking now. About how many times have you had five or more drinks in a row this month? Maybe three. And how old are you? Fifteen. For more information, visit StartTalkingNow.org. That's StartTalkingNow.org. 
Welcome back to Recovery Coast to Coast, the only program in America on the air five nights a week, two hours a night, talking about addiction with a focus on recovery. It is America's nightly voice for recovery, and a prominent voice in recovery is joining us in the Leaders and Legends segment. He is my friend, Dr. Tom McGovern, 45 years in continuous recovery, grew up in Ireland, became a Catholic priest, moved to the United States, decided to uh, uh, leave the priesthood, start a family, and as a recovering person, he started taking off in terms of helping others to find recovery. Your professional career, when did that actually start for you, Tom? It began with my... in. Um... I joined the medical school here in um, 1978, and um, um, again, I mentioned that my the one who hired me actually as a counselor was uh, well to help out. I was uh, Dr. George Tyner, and then the Sisters of Saint Joseph. They would be out of Orange, California. They had a hospital here in Lubbock. They had the beginnings, actually, of the establishment of treatment for mental illness, but Sister Maureen van der Zee, she was one of the members of the community. We started, in fact, we started kind of uh, upstairs on one of the medical floors we had. We began to admit and detox people, and um, we had little groups of them, and then she finally said, she said, I hear you have an interesting experiment going on upstairs in my hospital. So she said... <laughs> She invited us that she gave us a beautiful unit downstairs that looked at the Lake in Lubbock, little lake across the way where people could walk, and then we were able to put together a, a full 28-day treatment program at St. Mary's. is now part of the Covenant system and now part of the Providence in the amalgamation between the Sisters of St. Joseph and the Sisters of Providence. So, in any case, we began our group. Every Thursday was... I was always a teacher, and I liked to talk, and I liked, and so we began for the public, actually, on Thursday evenings and on Saturday mornings. We, for people, we, there, was no, there was no charge for it, actually. We did for the treatment portion for the 28-day program, but we had an outreach to the public in talks, discussions, sharing of information on Thursday evenings and on Saturday mornings, and then we began the residents and the medical students and then the other professionals, like nursing and the other uh, healthcare professionals, used to be known as allied health, but mm-hmm. it's the, now it's health professions, began, began to become join us as part of their clinical experiences. So it was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful early transition for me, what I used to do, like in the more concentrated pastoral work as a priest. Pastor, it moved very wonderfully for me into being able to be present to people, and we had um, these outreach programs, education, and then at the same time, we had the the formal treatment uh, process. Dr. Tom McGovern joining us on Recovery Coast to Coast. Uh, I'm Neil Scott. The program is on the air five nights a week, two hours a night, talking about addiction with a focus on recovery. You were instrumental in starting the uh, NADAC chapter down uh, in your area in Lubbock. Is that correct? I did. I was, you know, oh my, what memories of the the early, which was the state and local and then the national organizations. And uh, I, I, yeah, 
again, the people, the people in early recovery who put the, the early initiative, actually, we were known as paraprofessionals in those days, which is a wonderful name. I was associated with the paramilitary in Ireland. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know what the paraprofessionals looked like, but and it, it, that was part of my early introduction to the organization of the field. And one of the things I'm, I don't want to sound braggadocious, but I, life has in recovery to the God of my understanding, has opened up so many wonderful avenues of which have been helpful to me and in the same breath helpful to others. And I got my early um, introduction to the to the fledgling early uh, professional counseling in, in the addiction field in, in those early meetings. And, you know, as I think back, Neil, we we ran on goodwill and care for others, and and I absolutely applaud how we've got to masters in addiction. We have one here at our health sciences center, uh, addiction counseling. But I have to go back and say, were it not for the genuine love and care of the people in recovery, women and men, who are the early counselors, we wouldn't be where we are today. My mentor in this field, uh, and I think we discussed this in Texas, has since passed away, and it just, uh, just a man that means love to me is Mel Schulstadt. And, Mel and was, we knew Mel should in common, of course. Yes, indeed. And, and Mel was one of the co-founders of NADAC, and going he way was. back, way back. And Mel gave me early on, you know, it was, I, was, I was in my 40s, it was, I was young in what I was doing, he gave me such wonderful, wonderful encouragement. He said, Tom, he said, I want to encourage you in what you're doing and uh, forever grateful to him and to the, and also, of course, to Bill White. Bill White, who is, to me, is the historian extraordinaire and the teacher extraordinaire in our whole field. Absolutely. He is the Bill W. of our age. He is. And, <laughs> and for those who are listening tonight, if, they, if you want a book, to my, the, the, the supreme text in all of this is Slaying the Dragon by Bill White. It should be mandatory for every person coming into the field of addiction. Whatever, and it's, he, with wonderful humility, with such detail, and what Bill brings to us, which was attention to detail, but also inclusivity. Bill is the type of man that if there's something that helps a man or a woman or a child or a family that is struggling, Let's use it to help people. He's not doctrinaire. He loves the 12 steps. He loves AA. And incorporated into that love is, is an appreciation with anything that helps us to find our way and to find our way to wholeness of body, mind, and spirit. It truly is the history of the field, and there is so much in there that, again, I think everyone coming into the field needs to know. I was doing a talk in Columbus, Ohio about 10 years ago, and I happened to mention Marty Mann. And someone came up to me and said, who is Marty Mann? Where did he work for? Did he work for a treatment center? And I just shook my head and I said, read Slaying the Dragon. She is one of the wonderful, wonderful. And again, as we are reminiscing, I I still have goosebumps or goosebumps from our conversation in San Antonio, Mm. Neil, because we were recalling with with a great sense of awe and a great sense of, of gratitude and thanksgiving for these wonderful women and men who have made possible what we have today. And I know we're a profession, and I know we have all sorts of professionalizations, but I'm now 85. We need this heart 
of gratitude and compassion and gratitude and love for those who went before us, you know, and made this possible. How do you feel the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous has changed in your lifetime, and what do you see for the future? When I entered AA at the beginning, it was primarily male, white males, mm-hmm. and which, you know, I'm not, but I think, and at the beginning, and I remember the big battle, you know, and there are distinctive differences between the various 12-step programs. From the original Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, and all the other wonderful 12-step programs that address another another whole sphere of issues. That I, I actually, I, I belong to a 12-step program for talk show hosts. It's called On and On and On and On Anon. Oh, I but, love it. <laughs> but, I, but I digress. Continue on, Tom. <laughs> no, no, but it, it's what the, the, the heartening, I, the, this is what I find, is that I love, and we need more of it, we need more people of color, we need more pe- black pe- uh, people from the African-American community, people of color, we need le- Hispanics, Latinos, um, people from all all various walks of life, sexual uh, people, LGBT people, people from all the wonderful communities of humankind, we need to be we we need to be open, accepting, and 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 ma- making AA as diverse as diverse as possible. It is an equal opportunity illness. It has to be in the opportunity for recovery through the twelve step programs, which is one aspect of recovery. It needs to be open to all of humankind. It can't become exclusively any particular. You know, I know to any of any particular group or ethnic group or whatever we want to describe it that would tend to exclude rather than to include. As the field continues on, uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that there's a lot of people who have been around for a long time now working in the field. How do we get new people to say, I want to be a part of this movement, whether they yeah. are in recovery or not? You know, this is a very, very important uh, consideration. Um, Looking back, I, you know, I've written some on this. Um, I, I should also add, you know, in terms of of, of my gratitude, NADAC, when the when the Institute of Medicine, which is uh, which is part of the uh, part of the uh, research arm of, of uh, I'm blocking on the name, but I guess it was the Institute of Medicine study and broadening the base of treatment for alcohol problems, mm-hmm. which was one of the finest studies. You know, it's one of the few prints that the National National Science Institute, when they when they produced this book, when they edited, when they published this book, forty thousand copies in hard copy sold out at the first at the first uh, at the first printing. Mm. Uh, well, I guess to go back and go, and then I come I'll, I'll come I'll come round on 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 uh, bring it back to the A question you asked me. I was asked to serve. On, I was nominated to serve on this committee, on the the, uh, the Institute of Medicine committee that published this book, because I was a person in recovery, and the, the feeling was that this this that the the purpose of this particular study was to uh, to undermine any treatment initiatives. You know, were being questioned in terms of, of their efficacy at the time. It was anything but it. It turned out to be one of the most wonderful books that captured. The, the richness and the diversity of the approaches to treatment. But um, as we look at, at, at the challenges of how it has changed, of course, and the numbers have grown down through the years, and 
I think in the, we still meet in the rooms, and I still I'm still a regular regularly at 45 years sober. I still regularly attend AA and the little 24 a day books. Some of the listeners may, may not be familiar with this, but that was published by Hazelden earlier on, and it was the original. It still is my one of my basic texts after 45 years meditation book. It's a wonderful, a wonderful. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful life and a wonderful place, a wonderful, diverse where we find ourselves and we find the God of our understanding. You asked me early on, Neil, about spiritual awakening, and the spiritual awakening goes on throughout a, throughout all of one's lifetime. I think it's a deeper, deeper awareness, and I want to, the power greater than ourselves, I want to be very faithful to the early traditions of AA, which did not subscribe to any particular religious concept of a higher power of a God of our understanding, which I think was very, very important. Ernie Kurtz, again, one of my great friends in AA, and Bill White and I were so honored to be part of when speak at his funeral a few years ago. But Ernie says, he said, AA, he said, includes all religions, people of every religion and people of no religions. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I should send you the interview I did with Ernie uh, probably a year before he passed away. Uh, yeah. It was a similar Leaders and Legends segment, and we look back over his life, his career in the field, and, and just a marvelous, marvelous human being, and, and I miss him greatly. And, then even, and again, if there's, again, I don't know who our particular audience would be tonight, but there's another book, Not God, which was published by, yes. which was by Ernest Kurtz, K-U-R-T-Z. Again, that is one of the great books, like with Bill White, Slaying the Dragon, Ernie Kurtz is Not God. And if you want, people can Google nowadays, they'll find his articles and find his publications, which are magnificent. And, and another one I have to, again, going back into my the formation literature and my background, I'll Quit Tomorrow by Vernon Johnson. Oh, my goodness, a classic, absolute classic. That, that book, again, we're down memory lane. I hope we don't get lost going down memory <laughs> lane. <laughs> but in any case, that was... That was, that was uh, a- absolutely. We've come a long way. Uh, if you're just joining us, Dr. Tom McGovern is our special guest, Leaders and Legends segment, 45 years in recovery and a major force in the formation of the alcoholism, addiction, and recovery field. And, you know, when, when, when we look back, we, we've certainly come a long way. I remember when I was working with Marty Mann at the National Council on Alcoholism back in the, uh, gosh, it was, I guess, the late 70s. I had asked her, you know, what were the what were the three biggest challenges facing the field? And without hesitation, Tom, she said, stigma, stigma, and, and stigma. stigma. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it still is stigma, stigma, and stigma, and it's we've come a long way, and there's been many factors involved in destigmatizing the illness, but it's still there, and there are people, hopefully somebody who is listening tonight, if the stigma is preventing you from getting treatment for heaven's sake, just reach out to somebody if if you can find a contact in one of the twelve step programs or a treatment program or whatever, you will find people who will love you for who you are, and that you don't have to die in the in, in the sadness and the devastation of this illness and then you know rest be rescued from the stigma which is still there i think dr tom mcgovern joining us on recovery coast to coast we're going to take another short time out when we come back on the other side we're going to talk about 
the treatment community, the treatment field. Where is it today? Where is it going tomorrow? We'll do that when we come back. I'm Neil Scott. The program is Recovery Coast to Coast, America's nightly voice for recovery. We will be right back. Thank you for calling AAA. How can I help you? Oh, great. Hi, we've got a major malfunction going on here. What's the problem, sir? Well, the problem is that some friends and I decided to go whitewater rafting down this river just outside of town. Sounds adventurous. Yeah, well, it was until one of us who kept his keys in his pocket lost them. Hello. <laughs> when he fell, oh, I'm sorry, was thrown out of the raft by some supposed tidal wave. Oh, so you're locked out. <laughs> well, we were until our friend Brian came out with an extra set of keys. So you're not locked out. Uh, no. But Brian is. Nice job, Brian. The genius locked his keys in the car when he got out to give us our extras. Bummer. Exactly. Well, tell Brian to hang tight and we'll be right out. Oh, you are the best. See, I told you, man. They're the best. At AAA, we understand it's never just the lockout. That's why we're dedicated to helping you with quick personal service to get you moving again. AAA. We're not just about cars. We're about you. Call 1-800-JOIN-AAA or visit AAA.com. Join now and get $10 off a basic membership. If you're considering a career as a chemical dependency counselor, here are five reasons to enroll at the Institute of Chemical Dependency Studies. It's recommended for up to 24 hours of college credit by the American Council on Education, offers an accelerated distance learning program, is an ADAC-approved provider, and their training meets the criteria for the Certified Justice Professional Certification. Plus, student loans are also available. Start your career today. Call 866-523-2669 or go to www.cdstudies.com. We now join the new Diet 7-Up Taste Challenge already in progress. Okay, I want you all to try this and then just say the first thing that pops in your head. Amazing. Yeah. Mm, totally. Mm, there's more flavor. Yeah, more natural flavor. Mm-hmm. More lemon-lime flavor. Yeah, you're both right. There's more natural lemon-lime flavor. Yeah, the lemon-lime flavor is totally zesty. Zingy. Zippy. With zero calories. What is it? Yeah. New Diet 7-Up. Diet 7-Up is new? Yeah, it's been totally reinvented with more natural lemon-lime flavor than ever. It's totally refreshing. I love I know. it. No. Uh, and it's diet, too. And where's the aftertaste? Now, yeah. that is refreshing. <laughs> Here's to more flavor in our lives. Oh, <laughs> Try new Diet Diet 7-Up, now with more natural lemon-lime flavor than ever. Diet 7-Up, totally reinvented, totally refreshing. Stop in to your nearest grocery or convenience store today and pick up the new Diet 7-Up. Diet 7-Up has been totally reinvented and still has zero calories. Taste the new refreshing burst of lemon-lime flavors in Diet 7-Up today. You knew you couldn't go on like this. Alcohol was ruining your life. But there was no way you could take time away from work to get help. Until now. Sundown Am Ranch Outpatient Program fits your schedule and it works. Sundown Am Ranch, located outside of Yakima, Washington, offers individual, group, and family counseling, plus relapse prevention services. Their nationally recognized drug and alcohol treatment programs will put you on the road to recovery. Get your life back on track. Go online at www.sundown.org to learn more. We welcome you back tonight to a very, very special program of Recovery Coast to Coast. We are talking with one of the leaders and legends in this movement. His name is Dr. Tom McGovern. He lives down in Lubbock, Texas. An Irish priest from Ireland came over to the United States, found recovery, went to the famed Guest House Treatment Center, has been sober now for 45 years. And he's made some really advances in the treatment field, got involved with NADAC early on, and is really an advocate for education and information. And 
over the years, the treatment field has, has gone through a number of surges and then regressions. You know, back in the, uh, gosh, back in the 80s, it was Kentucky Fried Treatment. There was one in every corner because insurance was paying for it. And then insurance suddenly said, well, we're not going to pay for 30 days all the time. We're going to start maybe 20 days or maybe 10 days. And treatment centers changed their program to meet the insurance standards rather than the health standards of the individual. And we've gone back and forth, and, and, and now we're in a different situation in this, in this day and age in insurance companies. What is your take on the state of the treatment field today? What needs to be changed? What are they doing right? And perhaps what are they doing that needs to be corrected? That's a very challenging question. You know, it's, it's um, Neil, it's um, my own particular recovery was influenced by something that would be impossible in most settings today because we had a 90-day ability to be, you know, in a situation that was conducive to rest and reflection. And I think the important thing to remember is that uh, substance use disorders, the recovery doesn't happen overnight. And it's, I'm fairly on somebody saying longer and longer, shorter and shorter terms of use and then longer and longer terms of sobriety, mm-hmm. you know, that the struggle with the illness interspersed with reoccurrence. But I think the, the major thing we need to address is that recovery is ongoing. And again, one of the shortcomings, I think, of the, and of course, I don't mean this to be disparaging of the wonderful work that happens in all sorts of treatment settings, but it's when we, we get, say, promising 20-day wonder cures, you know, it, it, that's, that, doesn't, that does not recognize the reoccurrence or the chronic uh, illness that we're dealing with. Like if you're dealing with diabetes, if you're dealing with some of the other reoccurring illnesses, you don't expect them to, you know, that they just go away and then everybody is perfect again. There has to be maintenance, maintenance, maintenance. I, I agree, and, and I kind of look at stigma in that regard as well, where oftentimes people think, well, if he goes through treatment for 30 days, he will be well. He'll be fine, and, and we can just move on with life. The, 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 the treatment experience, especially the inpatient experience, is the basic beginning of recovery. Recovery is a process. Uh, it, it's, it's not 30 days or 60 days, 90 days. It is a lifetime. And you get the building blocks when you go into treatment. And, and from there, they give you the tools to have uh, long-term recovery. If you use the tools, as you well know, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And it's, and it's, it's I think our understanding to the, the great, the better understanding actually of how the brain works and the various components involved in the addictive behaviors and the addictive illnesses, is very, very important. And then the re-education, the reworking of the brain, if you will, in terms of ability to. Um, to think and to feel and then to experience life one day at a time in a different sort of way, in a sober way. But I am, you know, I'm old school in this, is that there has to be some type of community, recovering community in which a person gets well. There's an English, Bill White introduced me to a, a, an English, Dr. David Best. He's a, he, works in, he works in the north of England. He was at Sheffield and now he's up at Derby and he talks about one recovery capital. That means that which enables a family and individual to get well, 
not as not just in a treatment center alone, not even in AA alone, but in the community in which we find ourselves. People need jobs, they need training, they need the ability to re-engage a life that's meaningful and that they can make a living. And all of that is part of the of a community of a community of care, be it Lubbock or wherever. And I I I, I'm, I am so committed to forming alliances, allegiances between people, all sorts of churches, mosques, synagogues, wherever, uh, treatment centers, hospitals, wherever people, youth clubs, wherever people get together, try and have that as part of the outreach in recovery so people can have a sense of belonging. Because if you ask me, Neil, to define this illness in the most profound sense, it's one of isolation. Absolutely. It's, being cut off from self, mm-hmm. from others, and from the God of our understanding. And I talked to my mom, my beloved mother, saying, Tommy, your eyes are looking out again. Mm-hmm. And when, when they looked out, what did they find? They found like your eyes and my eyes and the eyes of people in recovery. We find each other. And that's, that is the relationship. That's the spiritual awakening. It's the connection with people that care, the building of compassion, understanding, forgiveness for ourselves, forgiveness for others. You see, this is the wonder of it. And just related back to your treatment, um, I think there has to be, um, you know, I think, I, I, I don't know, again, 28 days, 30 days, I, I, I don't want to get caught up in the numbers game, but people have, we've got to do, with the money we've got in the initial, uh, in the initial treatment, we, we've got to do the best we can, but we can't spend all of it, though, at the, at the front end of this. And that's maybe where some of the rethinking has mm-hmm, to take place. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not being critical of the ones who do it, but I think we need, and we need more um, equal uh, equal um, attention, be it in research, be it in journal articles, be it in, in, in the lived experience each day, the components of treatment, and then the on uh, the illness to understand it, and how do we address it, and then how do we maintain an ongoing community-based experience of recovery. The treatment field has changed uh, over and over and over again. Most recently, we had the opioid epidemic. And what happened around the country, a lot of treatment centers suddenly opened up because, frankly, there was money to be made in treatment. Not, Not saving lives necessarily, but making money. And a lot of charlatans came along, and a lot of people went into these treatment centers with the best of intentions and, and wanting to find uh, find a life of recovery, and that never happened. People always ask ask me, and, and they write emails and, and call the radio station and say, I want a treatment center for my wife, for my husband, maybe for myself. How do you find a good treatment center? And my answer is, number one, find one that's been around for a long time. Uh, find one that is a member of the National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers, which has a code of ethics, and we'll get to that in just a minute because I want to get your take on that. And also, take a look at a treatment center's staff. I don't give a damn what the treatment looks like. It may it may be on the beach in Malibu. It may be uh, in a farmhouse in Lubbock, Texas. The key ingredient, the, the, the thing that makes a treatment center successful and hopeful and helpful is the staff. And if you find a treatment center 
that has had the staff together for a long period of time. Precisely, precisely, precisely. It is so much, so much better, and your chances are better. There's no guarantee, and and some people again of the stigma of recovery. People say, well, you know, I sent him to treatment. I spent thirty thousand dollars. Why the hell isn't he well? Exactly, <laughs> and, and but I I couldn't agree more with you. And also, I also need to. Um, I think the more the treatment belongs in the public sector rather than the private sector, in the non-for-profits as much as, 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 as no, I'm not anti-capitalism and I'm not anti, but uh, I have a real feeling that coronavirus, the whole thing we're going through at the moment has exposed the fact that healthcare, be it for, for whatever condition, it has to be available for all people. It's a, it, 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 it's a given it's not a privilege. It's a right, the kind of responsibility that we have to the body, to, to our to our citizens. And the more we can move away from, and, and this healthcare as a whole, and I've been around for a long time, and I've paid my dues. I think the more we can move away from private-based to insurance. First of all, health insurance that's guaranteed at the federal level, at the state level, wherever for every human being, and as part of that entitlement. There should be an entitlement to, re- to decent, effective treatment for the addiction. That's my, that's my take on that. If you're just joining us, Dr. Tom McGovern is with us. Uh, he's been in this field for many, many decades uh, and is truly a leader and legend in this field. Let's get back to the issue of ethics in treatment. You have written about that. Uh, ex- I said, I, again, one of my, this is the story attached to this too. It's kind of part of the colorful origins of our of our field. I helped to write the first code of ethics for the counselors, actually, which I, you know, I, at 85, I suppose I can take a bow without being be, being full of ubers or pride. But but uh, at the same time, the, I got an award as the counselor of the year from NADAC. That was when back in the 80s, I believe. Yeah, way mm-hmm. back when. I can't even remember back when. It's <laughs> way back, but. Guess where the, con- the, con- the convention is that was held in Las Vegas? Oh, good oh God. my goodness. You... Of all places, oh. you know? Oh. any case, I think that the, there has to be, you know, the crossroad, there has to be ethics. And there's, there's ethics, individual ethics. One thing that's person to person, client to client, and client to counselor. But then there also has to be community ethics. That's the ethics that governs places, communities that deliver treatment. And then there has to be a societal ethic, too, that guarantees the well-being of all of our citizens with, 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 with all the illnesses, including the addiction. So I think there's that threefold kind of concentric circles, if you can imagine, in the middle, the individual, then surrounded by the community, and then moving out into the bigger societal circle. Tom, what is your hope? What is your vision for the field over the next 10 years? Oh, my goodness. Bill White and I struggled with that 20 years ago. I, 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 um, first of all, I am very encouraged, and again, with caution, about the new progress in online treatment and the ability of people, like we've been having our AA meetings online now with the, with the, with the, with the, with the virus. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a real future, not, not a, a part of the outreach for the future, will come through the new technologies. I, I, I think they have the ability with the younger generation to reach them through the media, the technological media, the, whatever the fancy word for it, 
that we, 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 we reach out to people. I would hope that we would maintain the vitality and the authenticity and the wonder of 12-step programs. AA is the one I'm most familiar with, that in their own way continue to build up communities and communities build communities. My hope for the future is that healthcare in general, that it become it is a right of every individual that you don't have to, it's not because you have a job or because whatever, it's, a, it's your right as a citizen to decent health care, and uh, part of it being the, um, the treatment for the addictions. You mentioned one earlier on, I would hope that some of the younger, if there are young people listening tonight, I don't know who's listening, but in any case that we can get young men and women into the field. I'm very encouraged by in the healthcare professions across nursing, medicine, uh, counseling, rehab, you know, the whole, I don't mm -hmm. want to leave any of them out, but the whole field of healthcare professionals, a new awareness, a new willingness to in intervene earlier on. But above all, Neil, for me, treatment in Lubbock, Texas, where I live and where I will die, is as good as the, the communities I live in, our willingness across the board to invest in the care, and let's talk about people with alcohol and drug problems. We're trying to put together an initiative with my good friend, Dr. George Comiskey, and some other friends at the university for younger people, very neglected, trying to get a consortium, not just to talk about it, but to take where young people gather, meet with them, be with them, but uh, my, 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 my hope and my optimism is that I do believe in the goodness of humankind. And we learn the lessons of life in many, many arenas, but there is none so important in my, based on my own experience and the experience of others that I've been blessed to be associated with. There is no arena like the arena of suffering. 45 suffering. years in long-term recovery for Dr. Tom McGovern. Tom, how do you want to be remembered? Um, I'd like to be remembered as one who was, who was grateful for the gifts that he received from the generation who went ahead of him, from my family, from all the people. I'd like to be remembered by, by as it being something of a tribute to or a continuation of the people, some of whom we mentioned tonight, and another great friend is Charlie McMorty, another some oh, wonderful sure. people in my recovery program, mm. in my experience, and that in turn, that whatever I have to offer is not memorializing books or papers or anything else, but I would be remembered in my beloved wife and daughter and grand three grandchildren and husband's uh, wife's husband. Um, I would be remembered that as one who cared, who received and who cared, who was tried, who tried to be compassionate, who was a sinner who needed to be forgiven, but in having known forgiveness and having known guilt and forgiveness, to know that. It's the brokenness of us that, that out of the brokenness, the light, show, the light shows through. And I would hope that that's how I would be remembered as one who shared through his own brokenness because of the giftedness of others, the ability perhaps to reach out to some other people. Our guest has been Dr. Tom McGovern. He has been joining us tonight, the Leaders and Legends segment on Recovery Coast to Coast. Tom, stay healthy, live in gratitude, and be kind to others. And may your eyes always look out. Thank you, and Tom. One, and one final thought. Lee Phillips was one of my great, I couldn't remember his name earlier on, was one of my great counselors. He played with Tommy Darcy in the great bands of the 30s, and he, was, he made music 
sound of my life again. So thank you, Neil. I wish you continued success, continued recovery, one day at a time. Thank you so much, Tom, for joining me. And, and again, meeting you down in Texas was, uh, was really a God incidence for me. And I look forward to seeing you down in Texas, perhaps a little later this year. Thank you, Neil. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. We'll talk again. I'm Neil Scott. The program has been Recovery Coast to Coast. We're going to take a short time out. Then hour number two coming up right after this. Are you afraid? Afraid of life without drugs and alcohol? Well, you know, there is help and there is hope at Sundown M Ranch. They'll focus on you and your disease, and you'll discover the dependence on drugs and alcohol is not living at all. Sundown M Ranch is a nationally recognized alcohol and drug addiction treatment center outside of Yakima, Washington. They'll help you reclaim your life and transform your fears into hope. Take the first step right now. Go online at www.sundown.org. I promise to hug my husband. I promise to eat a vegetable as big as my head. What promises have you made today? I promise not to paint the living room. American Family Insurance knows promises are easy to make. Until my wife picks out a color she likes. But they're not always easy to keep. At American Family, the commitments we make are commitments we intend to keep. Because our promises are the foundation of relationships we've built with generations of policyholders. I promise to take my dog for a walk. We promise to treat your family like our family and give you honest, straightforward answers. We promise. I like taking my dog for a walk. Visit AmFam.com to find an American Family agent near you. American Family Insurance. All your protection under one roof. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its subsidiaries. Home Office, Madison, Wisconsin. The Institute of Chemical Dependency Studies Distance Learning Training offers the required curriculum necessary to start working as a chemical dependency counselor. It's academically solid, provides learning experiences in various formats with an emphasis on treatment, prevention, counseling techniques, case management, and other related areas, offering basic knowledge and skills to be a successful chemical dependency counselor. Find out more about this NADAC-approved training. Call 866-523-2669 or go to www.cdstudies.com. First, your child's heart rate and blood pressure will drop. Your child may experience nausea and want to sleep it off. Hopefully, your child will resist that urge and won't slip into a coma or die from this prescription painkiller overdose. Of course, kids who learn about the dangers of drugs from their parents are 40% less likely to abuse prescription drugs than those who don't. So talk to your child now, and there's a pretty good chance that this will never happen to your child. For more information, visit drugfree.org. A message from Partnership for a Drug-Free Washington in America. Need professional-looking documents? Office Depot can help. From small jobs to bound presentations, bring in your document or submit it at officedepot.com. We'll ship virtually anywhere. Plus, our work is backed by the Office Depot Satisfaction Guarantee. Office Depot, taking care of business. Certain restrictions apply. See store for details. You have been listening to Part 1 of Recovery Coast to Coast, broadcasting from studios in Seattle, Washington, carried live on KHHO AM850 in Tacoma, Washington, and heard nationally in streaming audio at www.recoverycoasttocoast.org. 
We invite you to stay tuned for part two of Recovery Coast to Coast. In our next hour, we will feature an individual in recovery, sharing experience, strength, and hope about this one-day-at-a-time adventure in personal recovery. If you've been in continuous recovery for at least a year and would like to share your story with others, please send us an email at recoverycoasttocoast at comcast.net. For more information about future programs, please visit www.recoverycoasttocoast.org where you can listen to, download, or podcast our last five shows as well as find information on upcoming programs. This is KHHO AM 850 in Tacoma, Washington, broadcasting from studios in Seattle.